Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, May 7th, 2022. It's a little bit after 2 Universal Time as we're starting to record this. Uh, I am Sam Minter. Uh, Yvonne Bo could not be here this week, um, so I thought I'd do something a little bit different, uh, which is even different than what we normally have when we have guest co-hosts or me doing a solo show or anything like that. Uh, Given the news this week of the leak of the Supreme Court opinion uh, overturning Roe versus Wade, um, I thought that, you know, that was going to be one of the main topics regardless, but nobody really needs, uh, you know, yet another male opinion on that. Uh, So I invited uh, three women that I know uh, in one way or another um, to come on and chat. Actually, I invited more than three. I invited seven, but three were actually able to make it. Uh, we had a few people who were traveling or had other commitments. We had one person who um, wanted, uh, who said, I have lots of opinions on this, but I have a dreadful fl- fright of public speaking and don't think I could do it. Uh, and I had one person not answer at all. So, you know, that's how it goes. We got three people. Um, and what my plan is, is I'm going to introduce the three of them and then I'm just going to mute myself and disappear and let the three of them have a discussion on, you know, the events of this week and all of the implications that come from that. Um, so, uh, the folks we have today first, uh, uh, we have Christy, Brandy and Shelly. Uh, Brandy's my wife. You've heard from her before. She was on the show just a couple weeks ago, but let's, let's go through and introduce everybody. Uh, so first Christy. Hello, Christy. Hello, Sam. Um, hi everyone. I'm Christy Coulter. I am a longtime former, well, former longtime coworker of Sam's at Amazon and, um, also now an author and I live in Seattle. Very good. Uh, Brandy, who are you? Well, Sam. I'm your wife. Hello. Um, (laughs) I'm Brandy. I'm Sam's wife. I have been a number of things in my life at the moment. I am a state legislature or state legislator. And Shelly, who are you? Uh, I'm Shelly Webb. Um, I, I'm do not work. I'm disabled. I live in the great state of Texas that has adopted some of the most stringent abortion laws so far. I come from this. I have the mother of two. I have two grandchildren and I am pro-choice. So I do take that stance, even though um, it's not a very popular stance in Texas. So that's where I'm coming from. Okay, well, we have our introduction. So my plan here is I'm going to pute, pute. I'm going to put myself on mute here uh, and basically disappear and let these uh, three wonderful women have a conversation. Uh, I will only pop in if they call for me. Uh, so I'm going to disappear now. Have fun. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I, I kind of want to make pute a thing, though. I think it should be. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> Pute. Yes, pute. <laughs> uh, where should we start? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've been looking at the polls personally. I have been reading a lot, a lot of polls 
that anything that I could, any term that I could search to see if I could find something different, something that I didn't already know about abortion. I don't know mm-hmm. what y'all have been doing since all this started. I am, um, I've been venting mostly. <laughs> I wrote a long letter on Facebook to like the people who I kind of blame for setting this situation up. Um, you know, by voting for Donald Trump or not voting for Hillary Clinton. And it was about how I hope they just things don't go right for the rest of their lives. I, I took that approach. Um, I'm very angry. I didn't do that this time. I, I did that uh, when Trump was elected and they had the women's march. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a lengthy Facebook post and I lost about 25 friends and mm. was attacked relentlessly for days. So I didn't do that this time. Good luck to you. Yeah. I think for me, because I've written, because I'm a feminist author, um, I've like, I'm actually, I'm just, I'm used to being attacked. So you actually just get used to it. So I have no fear anymore um, because I'm a known quantity. And when people attack me, it's, they're never saying anything very new. So it's just like, Oh, it's that guy again. Like, great. You know, see you later, buddy. And I've been in kind of a weird, a weird space because, you know, as, as a legislator, I mean, I guess it's, it's important to be, well, somewhat careful of what we say. Mm Mm-hmm. Although I've always been fairly measured anyway, um, except in brief moments that I'm sure Sam is chuckling about right now. He really <laughs> likes my rants. But um, so I've been kind of doing doing what I can just to also help elevate the issue and also, you know, make sure that people really recognize just how, how dangerous this is mm-hmm. and how how dangerous it is for people who can be pregnant for women, um, for our future, um, just in general. So, yeah, I've, um, I I had this strange feeling like at first I thought, well, what can I do? Like, there's nothing. I felt like there was no action I could take because I've been taking actions for 30 years, you know, trying to protect this. And it was like, well, it's falling apart, but I started talking about the general danger because I don't think like young men are necessarily realizing that this could ruin their lives um, or derail their plans. Certainly. Um, I tried to start just talking to people about um, this is not solely like the, the abortion issue is big enough, but this like the economic impact will be significant. Um, the health impact, like it's just, it's just like a, bomb waiting to go off basically that's what i've been looking at a lot is who's who stands to gain the most right if you cut off access to abortion who will it affect the most and who has the most to gain from that and at the same time i'm i'm thinking that i'm reading the headlines of of Preachers in Poland trying to gather up children to bring them back to the U.S. Of, and you you have all these 
the I guess it was Alito's remarks that that it, he he kind of quantified that there weren't weren't enough children to adopt, and that just that he I that, just saw that that he quantified that that just it just it turned them it, it turns children into a into a commodity, and it, yeah it, yeah and but at the same time what you were speaking of about ruining lives the the people that have the most to lose are young people people who you know mm-hmm. for whatever reason I'm not I'm not all pregnancies are unplanned and unwanted pregnancies come from risks mm-hmm. from incest or rape some of them are from lack of education and and just just bad choices and I'm not saying just that. Let, and life just happens sometimes. Yes, and and those those children and those children who are going to be having children. I mean, who stands the most? Who gains the most from children having children? Is what what I can't get my head around. I mean, somebody has to be profiting from that. There's there because nobody's talking yeah. using the 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 religious uh, keywords. The words that you know that we all mm-hmm. recognize as the this is the religious right speaking. Nobody's using those words. They've been very quiet, and and it. I always assumed um, that they would never do this because it's such a great fundraising issue for the right. But then I realized, well, now they can fundraise on ending certain forms of birth control, and then they can, you know, like and or mm-hmm. abortifacients. I think they're called. Um, but I think that's a really good question. Like who benefits? My my friends who are sort of economically more to the left than I am would say, you know, this is just to feed capitalism, that we're just feeding new yeah. bodies into the into the machine. And, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a long range way to do it, but it makes sense. It, it that's totally what it is. I don't it was a few years ago and I don't even remember what it was, but the or who it was, but it was, it was one of the politicians. And, and the idea was you get people who are um, from underrepresented communities. And when you have them, I guess, breed Mm -hmm. um, and you take away their choice, then they can provide lots of workers. Yeah. That's my, my we already know. We, we already know that poverty works on a cycle, right? So if you've got people who are in poverty, because w- let's face it, if, if you are a person of means, even if abortions were made illegal, there would still be ways to do it safely for yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the people who, who are already in poverty who would be... They'll never get out. The they ones could. least likely to be able to access safe care, mm-hmm. but they could create an entire um, workforce. That's what I think. Um, You're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 And you hear everybody who's complaining, oh, you know, we have this trade deficit with China. That's because we literally cannot afford to manufacture things as cheaply as they can, in part because mm-hmm. of the workforce that they have. Yeah. So we build a workforce. And there's a local woman, I'm forgetting her name right now, but she wrote about how it also, like the number of women, of incarcerated women has risen something like seven times since Roe passed. And she was like, the state is always looking for ways to establish what she called universal criminality. 
it's kind of like if you get pulled over by a cop and they don't really have much to, to you know, everything's okay, but they're going to get you on something, even if it's just a lecture. Um, that sense of that you're always doing something wrong. And, and this is a way to kind of potentially criminalize, I mean, all women basically become potential criminals. I think that all women in the United States have have a case for refugee status at this point. Yeah. You know, what's I think a lot of people aren't thinking about either is that when it when it comes down to it, if we get so far as to criminalize abortion, mm-hmm. um, you know, miscarriages aren't going to be right aside, right? Like, well, the t- is, t- if a woman t- has t- a miscarriage, t- it's going to be questioned t- as what was that? The Tennessee, the law that the the Tennessee governor just signed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that includes miscarriages, doesn't it? Or ectopic includes, pregnancies? Yes, yes. miscarriage, and it will also affect uh, intro vitro uh, fertilization because it it, it oh, says any fertilized egg. It doesn't even talk about implantation. Implantation was taken out of the the equation it's just any any fertilized oh egg God. that's so because i know often when women have ivf they get to a point where they have to do like selective reduction i heard a, mm-hmm. a, i think the attorney general of michigan yesterday saying she had triplets in her uterus and the doctor was like look we need to abort one of these to have any of them survive and and she said you know she said okay let's do it and it worked out but it sounds like I mean, it's just bizarre because under, if I'm understanding the Tennessee law right, she'd have to take the chance of all three dying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, she uh, couldn't even get it done. She would, she would be, she could be, they, they, she could be arrested for right. the procedure. I mean, I, I just that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't I, know how much of yeah. the heck. I mean, are they going to have period police? Are we going to have you know? Right. Exactly. Or or border. I mean, I, I know that some states have talked about actually prosecuting women who cross state lines, which I think I know there's huge legal issues with that. But I wonder how much like when I hear things like, oh, that ectopic pregnancy, they're like, well, do you have to reimplant it in the uterus? Like, this is not possible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I wonder, like, how much have they even thought this through? Like, they don't understand the facts. I, it seems to me that the people making the most noise are, this is, sounds bad, but bear with me. The people that I hear here in Texas that make the most noise mm-hmm. are men, men who are mm-hmm. past the time that they should be probably thinking about having children, usually Right, right. 50 to 60 years old where, you know, when they, if they have a child now, they're never going to, you know, anyway, those men make a lot of noise and women who can't have children for whatever reason. I mean, that's, that's sad if they want Mm -hmm. children and they can't, I appreciate that that's, you know, terrible for them, but they seem to be making a lot of noise. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Which is, is just crazy. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, only women should be able to vote on abortion. And I'm like, no, actually, like my right to bodily autonomy is not for women to vote on either. It is just right. mine. It is not for popular vote. 
It shouldn't be because no. it's, it's healthcare. It's healthcare. And right. like whether or not I go on a new medication for blood pressure mm-hmm. is not subject to a vote. So no. why is something else that I do subject to a vote? But I mean, really, when it comes down to it, it's all about control. It's all about control. Yeah. The ones who benefit are the men in power because when you're able to criminalize abortion, you're also able to monitor women for mm-hmm. miscarriages. Yep. And what percentage of pregnancies actually end in miscarriage, particularly in the beginning? It's right? pretty hefty, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. And so, and so what will happen is if somebody has a miscarriage, then you can examine their life to see what they did. Right. Drugs. Were they around somebody who smoked? Did they drink raw milk? Did Mm -hmm. they eat lunch meat? What did they do that could have caused this to happen? And when you get that far, then you'll be able to look at women who aren't even pregnant yet because of if, or, you know, other, other beings who can Mm -hmm. become pregnant who are not pregnant because anybody who has the ability to become pregnant must then monitor everything that they're doing to ensure that nothing that they do could impact a possible future pregnancy. Right. Because if it does, then it could come back on them and it could be a crime. I remember seeing there were some guidelines that came out from the CDC or someplace like that a few years ago around alcohol, um, which is sobriety is like kind of one of my beats. But it was like, I think it said that if you are pregnant or it basically use the term like pre-pregnant, like could ever become pregnant, you shouldn't drink. And, and it was basically saying that no women of childbearing age should drink. And it got a lot of attention because that's such a bizarre thing to say. Um, and I remember thinking like, yeah, that's how it starts when you're like the word, the phrase pre-pregnant is terrifying because it implies that there's going to be an and after this is the before and there's going to be the after and, um, and that you're just watching. Um, yeah. That you're monitoring and controlling these, these women. And I think there's something, you know, we started out saying like, well, who benefits? There's something feral about this. I mean, it's not just that, that there's, they can feed workers into the system. There's something ugly. There's like an underbelly an emotional current, that's being fed and, and they're, they want to punish women for having sex. And that's not even something I think they could, they could speak articulately about. They just, it's like a kink or something, except in a bad way. I think it's more that they want to punish women for not having sex with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a, a, yeah. I mean, it's like, and the punishment is motherhood. (laughs) It, it's it's punishing women for making them think dirty thoughts. They do not want all these children. What are they going to do with all these children that they, they want to produce? I mean, think about it. Right. I mean, put them to work. They don't want to, they don't want, you yeah. know, there's no childcare. There's no, you know, none of the, none of the benefits are built into our system. Our system is not built for parenting. It's built for a, well, for parents who work. It's built for one parent working and the other parent staying home because you just can't afford Mm -hmm. to do anything else. You you can't afford to. Yeah. But 
Well, they want women out of the workforce. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, as women made gains into the workforce, like, like the dumbest men could no longer assume that they'd be okay. You know, they had to compete. And the only way they can think to get that slice of pie back is to just get rid of us, you know, by having, I mean, watching all the news stories over COVID of women who were working full-time jobs and ended up saying, I I can't do this anymore. Like I'm working 10 hours a day and I have like two children in school that I'm also supervising. Um, It works out well for them economically because we will control less of the money. Yes. It makes me Um, think that, you know, they're, they're, there are more women becoming getting degrees now than ever before and more actually more Mm -hmm. women getting degrees versus males. Yeah. Statistics are just, just scaring them because we came from this place. I I'm, you know, I'm 62 years old. I've, I've lived Mm -hmm. in a time when watching my mother, get so excited because she got an American express card in her name. I mean, she struggled, right. She struggled for that. Yeah. You know, and, and people don't remember that. They don't remember that that was just a little while ago. It was in the seventies. I was doing some research for my, my current book project and I am doing sort of a timeline of when these things happened. And, I was born in 1970 and I was astonished that that was, that was in my lifetime. It was like 74 or 75 or something. It's, it was um, just astounding. And that's what I keep, you know, who's the guy, there's this New York times columnist. I don't know how to say his last name. It's Ross do thought or something. Um, But he, tweeted today he's a conservative and he likes to kind of pose himself as like i'm just a thoughtful guy and and he's not the worst of the worst but um he's just irritating but he said something like well you know ever since roe was passed men are less likely to get married and less likely to participate in the workforce and it was like first of all causation and correlation are different things but also like are you saying that men were so mad about abortion that they all stopped having jobs like how was that how is that anyone's problem but theirs um and like, are they now going to come rushing back to the workforce? I mean, it, it really did. It was a self-own that I don't think he anticipated that men saying, well, to get our, our life, you know, our, our old lifestyle back, we have to do this. I, I think, though, we need, we need to state, and as, as the mother of two wonderful men, I have to state, and I, I li- live surrounded by men, mostly men. men this is not all men. We, we need to really make that yeah. effort to, to, when we talk about it, to, to, to point out that it's not all men. It is a certain yeah. group of men that, that have, and women. I mean, there's, there's a lot of women mm-hmm. who feel the, the exact same way, which I can't get my head around, but it, it's not all men. And I, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I have to put that out. No. Although what I have noticed that over the last four or five years, especially is even among, you know, liberal men who are, who are theoretically pro-choice, you know, would say so there's a tendency to sit back and and let women not just lead, but do all the legwork too. And 
I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter this week, like men saying, why haven't all women gone on strike? And it's like, well, what about you? Like, why aren't men on strike? Um, and, and I've been starting to see more men speaking up on, you know, men who are public figures on television and stuff. And I actually welcome that because they're, they're saying the right things. They're clearly upset about it. And there's been the sense that this is a, a women's issue. Um, and it is, but it's, it's a human rights issue. It's a privacy issue too. Yeah. And it's privacy. And so I've known a lot of men in my own life who I just kind of had to smack around a little bit metaphorically because they were just kind of like, well, what are women going to do? And it's like, buddy, you know, this is not just our problem. Um, and it's, and I see it, you know, on both. I, well, I mean, Republican men are more likely to just be wanting to get rid of abortion, but, but it's been frustrating. So I would love to see that change. And I spend a lot of time haranguing um, men as a population to like talk about how abortion has benefited their lives. Like what was possible because of abortion that you couldn't have done otherwise or um, because I think they're used to kind of driving us to it and paying for it. But otherwise they seem to think it's, it's our, it's our thing and our, our problem. But yeah, absolutely. It's not all men who, I mean, lots of men, I think are realizing that they actually do feel quite passionately about this. I think it's been a wake up call just this week. I think that they, they feel more passionate about that. It's, it's a, it's a choice of, of about a, a personal autonomy that, mm-hmm. that, that goes beyond the male female issues. I mean, it's about your body. Yeah. This is, this is my body. And what I do with my body is, is yeah. my business. I can't, you know, you can't, you can't force me to do something. I mean, and I think that men, when you, when they, when they look at it from that perspective, I, I don't believe they have any problem with, with. Right. It starts to be much clearer because it's, it's this broad principle or, and I've, I've had some luck with that with men who've said, well, it's fine. It'll go just, it'll just go back to the States, and, you know, because I, yeah. I get my backup when I hear that because, you know, your, your basic rights shouldn't really depend on like what part of this landmass you happen to be on. Um, right. And when I've said to men, you know, basically like, this is about autonomy. Do you own your own body in Washington state, but not in Texas? Um, they're kind of like, oh. Oh, okay. You know, like it sinks in, it starts to sink in. And it goes deeper than that too, right? Because if it goes back to the States, then it's all kind of at the whim of whoever's in charge at the moment. Yeah. And so like, one of the things that I keep hearing people saying is, you know, Washington state women are safe. Washington state people who can get pregnant are safe. And that's not true. Nope. Because, I mean, there's there's been this whole idea anyway that we're going to end up seeing a real shift and a, lose some of the majority, right? That's something that people have been talking about lately. And um, all it takes is one bad election cycle. Mm-hmm. And Washington is not safe. Right. And birthing people in Washington are not safe. Yeah. So... Everybody's like, oh, well, 
well, first it was they had Roe versus Wade, so everybody was going to be fine. And now with the Supreme Court, it's like, okay, but at least in this state, we're fine, but we're only fine so long as we maintain the majority. And that's going to be true in every state. Yeah. And so people should be really freaking scared right now. Yeah. And it could flip-flop. I mean, you could see, you know, certain, like I'm from Florida originally, which is, you know, a pretty purple state. And the part that I was from was very, very blue. But, you know, you could see states like Florida, it changes every eight years or something, depending on who's in charge. Um, It's just chaos. I think that that is the most chilling point of this, of the, this leak from SCOTA is that they can just on a whim and maybe, you know, if everybody says, well, this isn't a whim, this has been brewing for a long time, but this, this is a whim of, of the Supreme court that it's just going to change a, a law. Well, it's not a law. It's, and because it is a, it's a weird area that they're just going to decide after 50 years to just change it. And you're talking about how Washington, you know, just one bad election cycle. Now, yeah. I've lived long enough that this is a very new thing of the yeah. you know, completely yeah. changing the government of a state or a level of just in one election cycle, everything's different. That, that's, and then now that you've got the Supreme court in there too, I mean, if you want to get scary, I think that is the most scary thing. I mean, abortion rights. Yes, that's bad. But when you can just change, change the laws to suit whatever entity is in control of the political party at that point. I mean, I mean, that to me is the scariest thing that could ever be. It takes all the, the, the foundation away from us. Yeah. It, it really brings home the idea that these nine people, like somewhat random people have this much power. I, I just think that's, I don't even care who they are. Like that's crazy. For life, there should be term limits. There should, I mean, there should be, oh, I, don't get me started. But it's, it, I, I actually don't consider it a legitimate institution anymore. And I don't know what that means for me, you know, because laws are still laws. But but it's possible, I was talking to my husband about this a couple of weeks ago, and he, he said, you know, you could see states just deciding they're not going to follow that law. Um. And then I don't know what happens. You know, there's no, the Supreme Court has no police force. But I don't think it would be pretty. I think we're very, very I think, it, I think it, that this, that Roe Wade is going to come the closest to breaking up the union. Yeah. That, that it's come to. I mean, we all thought that, you know, that Trump and the, and I know that, well, in my little circle, thought that that was going to be, you know, the breaking point for, for the, mm-hmm. for the United States that that just couldn't, couldn't stay cohesive, but I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, he, he appointed these justices. I, 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 I trace this certainly not just back to him, but this, I mean, if anything is going to break up the union, it should be negating the basic human rights of half the population. Like I, like- Yes. <laughs> I don't I see what, why am I paying full taxes? Like, let me know what percentage of a citizen I am. And that's the check I will write you for my taxes every year. Like that's kind of where I am. <laughs> now I doubt I have the guts to do anything about it, but 
I, you know, this is like existential level erasure. Well, I mean, if we do not have, if women do not have, and it won't just start, stop with childbearing years. Right. Soon they'll figure out a way if they're, if they're, if they're going to attack, if, you know, women, and let's face it, this is an attack on women. It's nobody has mentioned at all anything to do with the man's, a man's contribution to these pregnancies. Nobody mentions that at all. It's just women. It just happens. (laughs) We just get pregnant. Yeah, it just happens. Well, remember, (laughs) remember, um, when you look at, you know, historically policing uh, women, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, girls have to wear certain clothes in school because otherwise the boys boys can't control themselves. It's, we are these evil temptresses that, um, you know what? Make that men not responsible for their own actions. Yeah. A long time ago but when one when of the they, things I just want to say this. Go ahead. I I've, I used to when the newspapers were just starting to get online. I was searching for world newspapers to read in English and I came across a one and I picked one from every country. The ones from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I read the newspapers and then I read the comments and the comments were nothing but what you're just saying, how these men and they were just, yeah. it, it was, it was just, they were just incensed that these women would come to work wearing these clothes and they would be tempted all day long that they would bend over <laughs> a desk, that a woman would bend over a desk to, to reach something and they would have to see her bosoms hanging out of her shirt and right. how that she should be she should be stoned. I mean, the things that they said were just, you know, it was, it was horrible. And it's, it's like, yeah, I, we're right I, there now <laughs> in the U S. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think of um, George W. Bush, the whole like soft bigotry of low expectations. Um, I think he was saying it about school children, but it's basically like men have set themselves up really nicely with the soft bigotry of low expectations where, we're the ones who, oh my God, she, her legs were showing. Well, I'm just a man. Like I'm just a, I'm just an animal. I can't be expected to control myself. Like I would love to live for just a day with expectations that low for my behavior, you know, like that I would look like a hero just for being civilized. Um, but yeah. And it's so Taliban like too, you know, it's, I, uh, was researching something about women's leadership, like leadership courses and workplace tips for women. And there were things like cover your, it was like cover your neck, your shoulders, your boobs, your butt, your legs. I mean, this is like from this century, like American women. It was basically like, don't show any part of your body. There's a part of the man's face that this woman called the business triangle that you can look at, which is his forehead and eyes. But the social triangle is the mouth and chin, and you can't look at that. And I was just dying laughing because this is so crazy. But also, like, nobody's telling men not to look at a woman's social triangle. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's always on us. 
I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone is like, don't look at her mouth. Oh my God. And, and, you know, women, it's like, don't, don't sit up too straight. Don't let your boobs show, but don't also don't slump and don't do this and don't do that. And, and it was just like, again, I think this is only a certain group of men. I, 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 well, yeah, I have a lot of power. (laughs) I cannot see a 20 year old man, a 20 to 25 year old man having a problem with a woman looking at his mouth when she's speaking to him or his chin. I mean, right. I can see, I can see right. a, a, you know, a 50 year old man or a 60 year old man having a problem with that, but I cannot see a young you, you, man. You think you're flirting or something. Well, I think, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think, I think with young men, I agree. I think, I think with young men, you know, there's just this, it, there's, there can be a cluelessness. Um, that gets in their way about, you know, meritocracy and sexuality and things like that. But yeah, I mean, they're not, I don't, not that I know I that many 20 year old guys, but I, I, I don't think, think they're that they're at all. I think that they, it's well, my, uh, my, when I talk to young women about how, whenever I was in the workplace a long time ago and there weren't a lot of women in, in it at that time. Very few. And you certainly were delegated to parts of IT that you could be in. I mean, it was just, that's just the way it was. But when I spoke to women, I went back to school uh, 20 years later, and the young women there, they had no clue what I was talking about. It was just completely foreign to them that I could be talking about the sexual discrimination in today, in 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 the world today, it just didn't exist for them. I think it's more subtle now. I know what you know. I worked at Amazon for twelve years, and there was, you know, I was ne- I never had anyone. I mean, I've been sexually harassed at virtually every workplace I was ever at. It didn't happen at Amazon, um, and nobody was ever like, "Oh, women are too stupid to be doing this" or something. But there was this. At the same time that I was a fairly high level of leadership and it was 80% male. And yet there was this sort of idea of that meritocracy, like the cream's always going to rise to the top. And when someone would say, well, why aren't there more women in these roles? The men would be like, well, I don't, women, they, often they'd be like, women are too smart to want these jobs. You know, they, they don't, they don't want these roles. And so there was this kind of, um, friendly narrative they feed themselves with good intentions, I think. I don't think these are bad men, where they can feel comfortable that the reason women aren't in those jobs is just because either they're not good enough or they're not um or they don't want them. And and so it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where like keeps hiring like and promoting like and um and it doesn't it doesn't look at all like it would have in even in the seventies, you know, like get me coffee, sweetheart or something, but it, it can be insidious if, if men and young women are convincing themselves that everything is fine now. Um, I think that's how we, partly how we end up in situations like this, when we all think, well, we're, it's, it's fine. We're equal. Everyone understands the concept of consent, which clearly they don't. Um, therefore, you know, we don't, we don't need to be on guard. Um, I don't know. Do, do you guys think there's any chance that they don't overturn it? Like, are they going to learn from 
what's happening. Do, do you think there's any chance that that draft is just going to change? I think Roberts no. doesn't want to I don't touch anymore. <laughs> I think think Roberts. Yeah. I think Roberts wants it to be done. Mm-hmm. But he's not. But I, you I, know, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that 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 you've got people that are going to put it, but I don't think Roberts would have released that uh, announcement if he, if he wanted it to go farther. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had read that like what he really wanted was something where they could really gut Roe without actually overturning it. Um, And he's not, he's not going to get that. And you know what? He shouldn't like, I don't, he's, he needs to actually stand behind his, his, his evil at some point. Um, it, it's such a bear, like the, the language of Alito's ruling was just the starkness of it really struck me. And that he said that if he, I think Roberts realizes that if they continue along Alito's mindset and what he wrote, if they just mm-hmm. follow that as, as a playbook and, you know, just instead of it just being a leak, that is the opinion. And that gets put out there. I believe that he feels that, that, there will the Supreme Court will have lost all its tooth, and it will it, it will mm-hmm. just cease to have any. They'll just have to change it so much to get something back that people respect, because there's no going to be no respect for it after that. No, I mean just the fact that he said, "Well, this isn't a deeply embedded part of our nation's history." Like, like the word "woman" isn't in the Constitution. You know, like me having a job wasn't a deeply embedded part of our nation's history either. So it kind of feels like Alito was saying women can't have these rights because they didn't have these rights 200 years ago. And like, that just, I was like, how is that even serious thinking? But there's a thought process that goes along with that, right? Yeah. It's, it's that if, if um, this isn't so deeply embedded, what else? Right. Not deeply embedded. Is it women voting? Right. Is it slavery? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, black black people not being subject to slavery mm-hmm. is it um, integration? You know, uh, protection for um, for or protected classes. Mm-hmm. It, there's all sorts of things that can roll back right along with it if they want to go back to that you know, two hundred year old. Right. I mean, thing. I've always had these issues with, and I'm not a lawyer or like a, a really savvy legal amateur, but you know, the idea of originalism has always troubled me, but I've also seen a lot of evidence of, you know, judges who use it also understanding that the world's changed, you know, and this just seemed to me to be such a literalist. I mean, it, that, that remark about it not being a big part of our nation's history and not being in the constitution just, I thought we were way past that. Like we shouldn't be driving cars probably, you know? <laughs> and the only legal weapon should be muskets. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> AR-15 isn't in the constitution either. You know, um, It was really strange. Like I just thought this is, is this person even serious? Like, is there even any intellectual heft here? Not that it matters to me, because you know. If, but, if, if that was his yeah, point, why did he add? Why did he add that about 
adoptions about not having enough. If he was, if he was so yeah. concerned about it being a, a president or, you know, trying to rewrite the constitution or anything like any kind of constitutional standpoint, why did he monetize right. children, babies? Yeah. I mean, it's like he didn't know. And I guess it's, you know, it's just a draft ruling, but I was like, that's the kind of thing you type and then you take it out before you save your document. <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's, it seemed like he was just, he felt really free to actually say what he thinks. Whereas I would have thought any smart person wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade would find a highly legalistic way to do it. And I've got some, a few friends who are lawyers who are, you know, very pro-choice who are like, oh, I can see ways that I could pick at this as a law. Um, they didn't really do that. They just kind of went for like, well, we need babies. We need, yeah, we need, babies, icky. Yeah, we need people who want to adopt babies and we need to have babies for them to adopt. So get out there and breed. Yeah. I mean, never mind the hundred and some thousand kids in foster care waiting for adoption. Yeah. Like I just, the idea that people are, yeah, I just, I just don't understand. The, 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 um, the other thing that's from, Oh, don't give me started there. That's Texas. Yeah. Texas has this huge foster care system. I mean, Texas will take your kids away from you faster than anything and put them into this foster system. And Texas has just, it, it, it's, they just make money off of it. In the little mm-hmm. town that I mm-hmm. used to live in, it was a little little church town, and there were there was this woman who started, and I'll make this really short. Anyway, she ended up being a she had this little commune. She had must have had forty to fifty foster children. Uh, they oh put mobile homes out there, and it fed that school system. Mm-hmm. I mean, it fed the school system until yeah. they finally got shut down. For uh, they they killed a child accidentally. It was an accident, but the child yeah. had health problems, and they uh, restrained him, and he had a heart attack. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, well, yeah, it's it was, you know it was it's a money-making system for them. The foster care system, yeah, it yeah. pulls in a ton of money for the state. Yeah. I've just seen it firsthand and it it's the, these kids yeah. is, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I know yeah. that's off topic, but no, I don't no. foster system is, is got its own baggage that I don't yeah. know. How ever well, we need to feed the prison system and all of it. You know, one thing that I've noticed in the change in the rhetoric was, even 10 years ago, and this, this rhetoric used to irritate me also, um, but you'd see, I remember even Paul Ryan saying, no, a woman who has an abortion is a victim. We would never prosecute her. And I was like, hey, buddy, you know, don't, like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't like that infantilization of, of women. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I will say now it's better than what we're hearing where, now they're actually talking about, you know, and that woman, that one woman in Texas was briefly prosecuted for murder. Um, and there is this sort of 
there's also the fact that they're not making exceptions for rape or incest. We used to have this cozy idea of like, well, there's a carve out for the women who deserve to have abortions. And they're usually the ones who had their bodies violated. And then all the rest could just be punished with motherhood. Um, and now it's like the fact that like you could be a victim of a crime or you could have your father's child yep. with God knows what kind of genetic issues. And, and there's no carve out for that. And I find that really terrifying. Well, yeah, because it's like, it's because you're tempting him. Right. right? It's, it's because the, the woman is fundamentally bad in right. these scenarios. You're born bad. You're born to, you're born as, as a, a future problem. Yep. And, and just the idea that this is how, yeah, it's just, it's just wild. I, when I think about, I think about like dismantling rape culture all the time and how nice that would be. <laughs> and it just seems to me that this is all going to lead in a terrible direction for rape and prosecutions of rape, just because it's changing how we think about rape victims. Um, and I have no doubt that a lot of DAs and, and governments will continue to do their very best because there's been a lot of movement on like actually testing rape kits and things. But I don't know. I just see this as embedding rape culture and a, and the culture of non-consent so much more deeply in our culture. I think if you're going to talk about rape, I have no idea you, have to, you have to include, include men in rape. Women aren't the only ones that are raped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But they don't get pregnant when they're raped. You know? They don't get pregnant, but um, uh, men don't get pregnant, but they do suffer trauma. And Oh, yeah. And there's something like 6 or 7% of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I rape culture is rape culture. Nobody wanted to mention something. Um, and this is from personal, my just a personal observation. I used to work, I used to sit next to a woman who did uh, demographics for the hospital I worked at. It was a very small hospital. And I'm saying that because right now we show the numbers for abortions are down. They keep, they keep declining. And, but the, the, it seems to be at a fever pitch for, you know, we've got to stop abortions because, you know, they act like it's, you know, something that's becoming worse and worse and worse. And it's actually declining. But mm -hmm. for a long time until I think just until 2015, the, any fetus that did not make it to term in the demographic statistics was considered an abortion. That's the medical oh. term for a non-termed non pregnancy was, was aborted, whether it was spontaneous oh. abortion or spontaneous. Or right. And now they have added that spontaneous abortion for miscarriage and uh, termination or, or forced termination or whatever they've added language in yeah. there those demographics that that kind of make things a, a, the, a better picture where you can get a better picture of what's going on but for years yeah these people who were you know complaining about you know oh there's so many abortions there's so many abortions well they were getting these statistics that that were just all failed pregnancies all failed pregnancies were right I mean, we're considered abortions. That's crazy. And 
Yeah. I, I have sat down with people and explained to them. They were, they were so shocked that these, these numbers that they had been told in whatever, you know, meeting they were in or, or chat room they were in could mm-hmm. possibly be not be the numbers that they, they thought they were. I mean, it just, I don't know. I think that, mm-hmm. that we do need to have a better message. I mean, it, it needs to be clear that miscarriages aren't abortion and, and, that if they're going to start talking numbers, they need to make sure that we understand exactly what numbers they're talking about. Because these people grab a hold of something and they just won't let go. They're like terriers. They just go. That's their strength. I mean, that's why they, that's why they succeed in ways that Democrats don't because they are so persistent. Um, Well, and I also think, I don't know that the message gets out enough that abortions tend to naturally decline. Like when the economy is healthy and people have a, access to birth control. Like there's ways to drive abortions down that have nothing to do with restricting rights. In fact, it's like making, it's almost granting rights, like making it easier to get effective birth control at a low price. And, um, but nobody wants to do it that way. (laughs) It seems like they just want to no, let's drive abortions down by just stopping them. And I heard something about Texas yesterday and I, I might, Shelley, you may have better data than I do, but I think they said on NPR that the number of abortions, it's not gone down as much as you, as you would, the law itself would have suggested. And that's because, you know, women are going out of state or they're going to Mexico or they're doing medical abortions at home. Um, It's, it's not like it all just came to a halt. And that's what I think is interesting. Like this is not, you will never end abortion ever. Nope. There's nothing they can do about it, but it's criminalize us, but women are still going to, they're still going to get it done. And I actually think there's ways, if I'm optimistic anywhere, it's that there are more ways to do it safely, illegally than, than there used to be. If we can figure out how to finagle getting pills to people, um, which I think is going to be the next big battleground. Well, I think that was part of what, what was going on with the Tennessee, uh, law that they were trying to to tackle uh day morning after mm-hmm. pills they were trying to get ahead right, of that. right right um, oh, it's just it's just and crazy. i i don't know that it, that morning after pills are that uh, readily available in texas to be honest i i don't know i don't know have the answer to that you can buy but, them on you know, amazon you're right abortion will never go away it will never go away but it seems to ha- to be well, while they still had sex education in schools, which we all know now that, that those books have been burned and they will never have that. Right. Uh, right. It seemed to be going down some among teenage girls, but whether yeah, that continues yeah. or not, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's just, um, and the thing for me is that even if like, let's say that women and their allies set up, a beautifully run sort of underground railroad sort of, you know, medication abortion system. And that it actually becomes pretty readily available for, for women to have illegal abortions. I'm still livid. Like this is still a denial of citizenship. And so it's, it's the principle of the thing for me. Like, am I, a member of this country or am I not do, I don't know if I even want to be honestly, but 
it's such an erasure of our humanity. And that's why even when I think about, well, there'll be ways to get around it. And I'm really glad there's people thinking about how do we keep abortions going anyway, but it's just, oh, it doesn't matter. It would be like if black people had to figure out some underground way to vote, you know, it's not okay. What about say, say 10 years from now and, and they find out because, you know, apparently one of the side effects of COVID is impotence and they find, Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I find that, you know, can they just say, okay, you are a 18 to 24 year old woman. And I think that you need to bear my child. You have a baby. And, and, mm-hmm. and force women. I, mean, I know that's, I know that sounds really silly, but I mean, you, you, you just take it out to its ultimate conclusion. Do we just become, do women just mm-hmm. become breeding machines? For, right. For I mean, this is a soft way of doing it. Yeah. This is a way that they can kind of do it without having to say they're doing it is if the women are going to get pregnant and not be able to have abortions, then, you know, the birth rate will go up to some extent. I have no doubt. And it would have to actually. I just, I don't know. Just doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it should be this hard to just exist peacefully with your neighbor. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I know. It's like, it's like, just leave me alone. You know, just, just leave women alone. I, uh, well, what do you, what do you all think of the democratic or the, I, I should say the pro-choice um, government response so far? I think it's been a little, a little, a little slim. I think it's been a little slim. <laughs> I keep waiting for one. Have you, have you heard one? Have you heard a real response? I mean, I've heard. Well, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I just hear a lot of hand wringing and I keep seeing tweets that are like, we're going to fight. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? Partly it's just my, the old product manager in me yeah. is like, I don't know what that means. Like what legislation are you, are you sponsoring? Like what, what are you funding? Um, and a lot of like, well, you better vote in November. And I'm just like, you guys, I've been voting. I voted for Dukakis. Like I voted for some very unexciting Democratic candidates just to, to you know, protect Roe. And like, oh, you, you had one job and, and you didn't do it. So. Yeah. So I think there is actually, there, there is or should be um, some kind of legislation that would codify the right to abortion that would make yeah. it so that it is and remains legal. Mm-hmm. But I mean, again, it's, it's so easy to undo a law. Right. So. But it would be something. I, I need to feel faith in, in my legislators. And I, I know that you know, I, I see Democrats so easily saying, well, mansion and cinema, so we can't. And I'm like, lean on them, like make their lives miserable. Take away their committee assignments. I, I need to see some like willingness to make things really unpleasant. Yeah. And I think I think there is there is work in that area. I was um, at a press conference earlier today for um, Senator Murray. Mm hmm. 
And, and that was definitely, I, I believe that was part of the conversation, you know, working on that kind of legislation to create a situation in which um, we are safer. Yeah. But I think, I think the state yeah, has had, I think that's always at the win. I think California's response and, and, and yeah, several states have had, you know, and it's going to be like, we're going to have, safe haven states and states for now i i just don't see how a woman who is even even you know we're talking you were talking earlier about how women could how wealthy women could always receive the kind of medical care they needed but even a a woman with moderate income not not in poverty but in moderate income may not be able to travel Maybe not be able to take off work and right. go from state to state yep. to to receive care. I mean, so it can be right. She may have other children to take care of, or or yeah. yeah. I mean, I was on a a, a Facebook group for um, like Amazon alums the other day, and and Amazon, like a lot of tech companies, recently announced that it will pay the travel expenses for women who have to leave a state to have an abortion, and. Um, which is great. You know, they, I mean, honestly, I think it's the minimum that they should be doing. So I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. But someone said, how are they going to work around that? Like how, let's say that your Amazon says, yes, we're going to pay for the three days it's going to take you to have an abortion. Um, can your manager retaliate? You know, we just, it, there's curiosity, but like, how is that going to work in terms of a system? Because suddenly your manager is kind of up in your business. Like they know, I guess you could just say I've got to take three days off to have an operation or something, but I, I don't know. It's it's not private. Well, if you've got people, right, you, you could do that in, in Colorado where you don't have a bounty on you, but in Texas, all it takes is, you know, your, your, your neighbor turning you in yeah. and, you know, does it matter if yep. Amazon pays for you to go out, right. you know, out of state or whatever. They're not suing you. Amazon. They're suing you. Yeah. Oh, but they can sue Amazon too, can't they? Oh, I guess they could because Amazon is enabling. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, no. And and how do you even ask your boss that if you don't know which side of the issue they're on? Exactly. Like I had bosses I was really close to, and it would I would have just said, "Hey, here's what's going on." But you know, that's that's you can't assume that, and you can't assume that your boss is even going to be sympathetic. Um, Can you imagine being so? I mean, I know that this is something being 13 years old Ugh. and, and, you know, you're, you're smart. You, you get on social media, you know, what, what everybody's saying and you can't talk to your mom and dad. You can't talk to your sister, or your brother, but you are pregnant. And I, I think we're going to see some bad times with children. Yeah. I hope that the social, that the internet will also you know, I know there's there's already sites out there that give lots of information on you know how to get Plan B and how to how to do a medication abortion. So I'm hoping that for these young women, there's also women like me. I mean, I'm not a health professional, but you know, women who can say, "Okay, we're going to take you in hand, teenager." Um, That's not going to happen and make for sure a girl you- who is getting abused by her by her stepbrother or her stepfather right. or her father who's, or who's also monitoring you know. her communications. Yeah. Well, it's not even that. How would, how would a 13 year old um, purchase something on the internet? 
Yeah, right. They credit cards. They don't right. have credit cards. They don't have, you know, they don't have a driver's they drive. License. They don't get, you know, to where they need to go. I mean, and now they, now they have they gone from being, you know, able to talk to somebody. Maybe it may be somebody at school, maybe a counselor or somebody. They can't even talk to those people mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, it's, uh, I just, I keep coming back to that question of like, did they think this through? And, and I, the scary thing is I'm, I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure they did think it through and I'm not sure they care because I don't really think they care that they're unleashing chaos. That's the thing. I don't think they care either. I think that's the biggest piece is mm-hmm. they don't care. And that's really frightening because normally you could, you could, I always thought Roe would stand just because the justices would be like, well, maybe we don't love this as a law, but this is, you know, this is set a law. This has been how America is for 50 years now. And they're just kind of like, eh, whatever. Let's mix it well, up. They will take care. Take, well, yeah, uh, they have one. Control no. pills. Birth control pills will be next. And the IUD, of course, because that's IUD, also. Uh, yeah, that, that's, it, you know, that they already considered that to be sinful. So. Yeah, because it's an affordable. If condoms didn't prevent diseases, I'm sure they'd be on the list too. Yeah. And the thing about birth control pills is, you know, that they're used for, like, I have a, my hairdresser's teenage kid takes them uh, because she had skin issues on a low dose because she had skin issues. I mean, they're used for lots of things. Women use them in perimenopause sometimes. Um, There's, Women who, uh, young yeah. women get endometriosis. I have, I've known several yeah. young women that were yeah. on birth control pills at, at a very young age because they were developing endometriosis and it was, they were trying to slow it down. And right, right. Like there's lots of reasons to take, uh, these pills that aren't just, I don't want to get pregnant. Um, and I think about, you know, when I was 18, you know, I grew up in South Florida, I was going to college. I was sexually active just barely but I was like, I think like lots of young people about to go to college, like I'm going to have lots of sex in college. And I basically just went to my mom, said, I want to go on the pill. I need a blank check. <laughs> and she said, okay. And I made an appointment of Planned Parenthood and drove over there and got myself put on the pill. And it was just so easy. And just the idea that that, that might not be available to you. And, and I also was a very like proactive young woman, like that I, I did this, but it just when when Florida passed that draconian abortion law a few weeks ago, I just thought this is not the world. This is not even the Florida that I grew up in, you know. And and the fact that young girls won't be able to just do that kind of thing, like really bad things are going to happen. Yep, like really bad things, including diseases. But they're going to put them put them in their place early, right? Right, and and cut their options. Now that, that, you know, and sex education is gone in schools. I mean, yeah, I mean, some parents just don't talk to their children about sex. They figure they, you know, they, they know learn all they need to know from their friends or whatever. But yeah, how to take care of yourself is a very real part of sex education. And they've taken that completely away from them. And there's real practical decisions to make about what kind of, you know, like, do you want to go on the pill? Do you want to, when I was a kid, the IUD was dangerous. I think it was actually off the market, but now it's like, 
you know, it's, it's safe. And there's, there's very, very nitty gritty, like choices to be made that kids need help, might need help navigating. Um, it's, yeah. Sometimes the parents don't know the answers too. Right. That's right. another issue. There are people who have really odd or, or odd understandings of, you know, sex education and, um, how our bodies work mm-hmm. that are actually kind of disturbing. Yeah. Well, remember the whole thing about like with, when there's a legitimate rape, the woman can't get pregnant because the body shuts all that down. I just, I just looked him up the other day and I was, I was not sorry. He's, he's actually dead now. And I was kind of like, okay, well that's probably good. Um, I mean, I think he actually believed that Todd Aiken was his name that if in a rape, like the, if the woman's not like psyched to be having sex then the body just won't, you know, and I just well, thought you're an adult they, they, man. They, they taught in ancient time and medieval times that if a woman did not have an orgasm, she couldn't get pregnant. So I think we just need to go back to that. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. I think we could do a poll and like really <laughs> prove that wrong. And if you're being raped, you wouldn't have an orgasm and therefore you could not become pregnant. There you exactly. Go. Exactly. Yeah. Neither of those things are true. Your, your body will become like inhospitable or something. Acid. Could we start oozing acid? Right. <laughs> if only. That would be so great. Uh, you know, just getting back to the political response again, I, I really... I have been a very stalwart democratic voter. Like I'm a, I'm a pragmatist. Um, in 2016, I was yelled at by many, many people about Bernie Sanders, about how Hillary Clinton was exactly the same as Trump. And I actually liked a lot of things about Bernie Sanders. I was not anti Bernie, but I, I, I eventually got kind of turned off because I was just yelled at so much about how, how Hillary, Hillary and Trump were exactly the same. Um, and I believe in like incremental progress. And, you know, it's partly, again, just being just the corporate, the neoliberal corporatist in me. Um, but I am understanding, I've had this visceral sense for the first time in my life this week of why people have abandoned the Democratic Party. Of why, and, and I don't think I'm thinking rationally, and I don't think that's, I don't know where I'm going to land, but. I got a fundraising text from James Carville and it infuriated me. Um, the The number of fundraising emails I've gotten and, and he used this really scary language, like folksy scary, like you can kiss your right to privacy goodbye. And I just, I just thought, I don't want to give these people any more money until they do something. Well, look at how much money we gave them in 2016. Yeah. I mean, well, plenty. I think I knocked it out that year. Yeah, we were all giving as much as we could because it seemed to be that you could just buy the presidency. Right. But right. I mean, we, we, we and that turns I don't think money it it doesn't take money to vote. It does not you, you don't have to pay to vote. No. It doesn't, but okay, politician hat. Um <laughs> It does take money. It doesn't take money for me to vote. It takes money for you to run. (laughs) Sorry. And it takes money to actually reach out to people who maybe don't typically vote and to um, 
to connect with people because you have to kind of market yourself as a, as a, as a candidate. Yeah. Yeah. And there are going to be people you can't get to door at doors. And so they're going to be people that you can't get in, um, in any other way, there's got to be a way to reach them. Yeah. I have no problem with giving, giving money. It's just that when you give so much, I mean, there was a lot of money poured into that election. And I know that, that it, in, in some, with some of the candidates, I personally have very little to give, but I gave to multiple candidates in out of state in races that were close and that mm-hmm. because in Texas, nobody was going, nobody was winning in Texas. It was, it was all going to Trump and I voted. Right. I voted and in Washington, Trump. everyone wins. Yeah. yeah. I, for me, it's I not gave, that it's I, not that they don't. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying that people gave, a lot of people gave money to out of state candidates, which I personally mm-hmm. am thinking that maybe Democrats need to rethink that thing of like where your inbox gets letters, you get emails and text messages from every Democratic candidate across the board and maybe just focus on the ones that are in your backyard. Yeah. There's a guy in South Carolina who's like all but stalking me. I have no idea who we found out who I, who I was, but I, and for me, it's not so much. Um, it's not, it, I, I'm willing to give money. It's that the immediate response was give us more money or you're going to lose your right to abortion. I I was like, I want to see you guys take strong action. And even if you you can't overcome mansion and cinema, I want to see you make their lives suck. I want names named like I Republicans win because they fight ugly. And I don't necessarily need Democrats to, well, I don't know there's, this is a time to, if there's ever a time to fight ugly, this is it. And I'm tired of having the moral high ground. I want to win. But here's the question. Um, when we start getting dirty, what makes us different? Exactly. I mean, is it, it's okay. It's okay to fight dirty for the right cause. And then does that justify what, you know, what Republicans may be doing because they think they're fighting for the right cause? I should, I should amend like fighting dirty. I should amend that to being aggressive. Um, I don't want to see Democrats start becoming lawless like, you know, some Republicans have. But there's just this kind of politeness that is starting to kind of kill me. I, it, it makes it feel like they don't really understand they're up against. I think they just don't connect with each other. I think that Democrat, yeah. Democrat, you've got one Democratic unit in like, say maybe the, the, the Florida area, and maybe they're fighting real hard. They don't know what the people in Northern Florida are doing. The ones downside, it's like it's like right. they just can't get them fight as a unit. They fight mm. in pieces, and it's it's they're siloed. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've also yeah. got that big tent party thing, right? Oh yeah. yeah. And so it means we've got a whole bunch of people that don't all agree with one another in the yeah. same room at the same time, and nobody can agree on how to fight. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's and I think, true. and then I also want to recognize that there's probably lots of frantic action going on that we don't know about, you know, because it's, it's all like little bits, it's bureaucratic stuff that, that is not easy to sum up. And so it's, I, I keep reminding myself, like, you don't know that nothing is happening. Like, I know that people like Patty Murray are freaking out and, and doing what they can. Um, I I kind of want them to find a better way to communicate that. You know, it, I remember thinking, I want Patty Murray to take more credit for her work. <laughs> like, if she's doing something, it's like, I want to know what it is, not just promises that we're going to fight. Because I need to know that people who understand how the system works are, are working the system right now. Um, and I just don't, I just don't sense that, but yeah, it's been disturbing. Do either of y'all follow Joe Walsh on uh, Twitter? I occasionally, I think I, 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 he doesn't come up in my feed very often, but I've, I've actually exchanged. I've talked to him at some point. He seems to think his opinion is, is that Democrats like are are not getting, do do not fight dirty enough. And he believes that they try to convince, they're so busy trying to convince themselves, like you say, about the 10 people in the room that they can't fight their battles because they're so busy defending their viewpoints to each other. Burning cats. Yes. They don't focus. Um, And I keep thinking about, you know, I've been involved in this cause since, you know, like my teen years. And I just remember back in the day, like in the 90s, I had a bumper sticker that was like pro-child, pro-family, pro-choice, which I realize now, like I didn't actually, I was not particularly interested in having children or being pro-family. But, you know, we had this very it feels like the Democrats have always been kind of conciliatory, you know, like um, every child wanted child, like these good messages that, that make a lot of sense. And I feel like over the years we've given and given and given a little more ground. And every time we give an inch, they take a yard. And so I know my own position has been hardened considerably where um there, I, there was a woman in my college who, who her, she said it should be abortion on demand and without apology. And I remember thinking, oh, we can't say that. That'll alienate people. And now I'm like, hey, I'm pro-abortion, uh, on demand, without apology for whatever reason you want. And, and I feel like there's at least a clarity to that position. I don't know. It's, I'm very aware of the need not to alienate sort of people in the middle, but everything the Democrats have done to try to find common ground, it just doesn't seem like it's worked. Like the Republicans don't want to work with us on birth control. They don't want to work with us on like other sort of non-punitive ways to bring abortion rates down. Um, They want one thing and they're getting it. And we've been polite. I think that you, the Republicans have a way of, staying more current with their, with their anger and they, they mm-hmm, function on anger mm-hmm. and they, they're, they're not going to, they stay there and they're not going to give it up. And when Democrats started wanting to accept the uh, refugees coming in from the Middle East, mm-hmm. that was something that Republicans, 
could really grab a hold of. They, they yeah. had, we were all going to be put under sheer law and it didn't right, matter right, right. what, what you did. If you were a Democrat, you were, you were going to let people come in and, you know, and do sheer law on you. And they suddenly it, all became feminists, right? <laughs> they were like, they're going to oppress our women. Yes. And, but, but at the same time, they got a lot of people coming into the fold because they could, they could instill that fear into everybody. And that, mm-hmm. that was coming from, from people that I talked to. I didn't watch Fox news, but I knew a lot of people that listened to talk radio back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And they were talking about, about Shira law and the oppression and how they were going to oppress women and all that stuff. And, and how the, they were going to come in and take over our culture. They talked about it being our culture and they have just built yeah. on them and they've built on it and built on it and built on it. Yeah. And until now they are their own little Taliban, their Christian Taliban. They, yeah. and yeah. they, what they could not defeat, they absorbed. So I don't know. I mean, right. I think that Democrats mm-hmm. by embracing, trying to, trying to be inclusive they leave themselves open to attack from all sides because the Republicans, yeah. they, they, they close it in and it's all wrapped around religion. That no matter what it is, they can yeah. always bring it back to religion and it's always Protestant religion. It's not religion in general. That's not a spirituality of loving a, a God. It is, you have to be Protestant and you have to do Protestant Christian God. It's yeah. Protestant, yes. And anything else is, you know. Yeah. And Democrats by embracing other things and other other all religions, we're just we're, we're we just get scattershot. If yeah. you if you see so what I'm saying. Is it is it irony then that, you know, they're oppressing women? Now that's that's a what? say that again. <laughs> That they're oppressing women now. Yeah, I mean, it's, they just, they just use us. You know, we, we, we shape shift according to what they need us to be because they don't see us as people. So we were their victims, you know, they're precious, innocent women who, you know, this, oh, we want to, we want to protect women from a decision they might regret. Like, I don't need anyone. To, I'm an adult. Like, let me make my decisions. Um, let me have regret. And now we're their temptresses. And they're, we're just a means to an end. I think it's more of a needing to press somebody down so you can stand on their backs and be taller. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, I just wonder... I don't know. Like I would certainly not call myself optimistic about any of this, but I I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think, I don't know that this is going to turn out how they thought. I think women are, there is, there is a huge, there is a huge religious right. But the evangelicals are, yeah. I, think, I think that, that it's, it is, it is a mistake to underestimate them. Yeah. Yeah. 
And how in some states this won't even... Well, you know, I keep coming back to the fact that in a lot of states, it's virtually impossible to get an abortion already, even even without laws like the Texas yep. one. You know, there's like no clinic. So there's one clinic or something um, that day to day on the ground life won't change that much. I, I even wonder, I think we'll see a differences in how vigorously various states, you know, enforce this kind of thing. I mean, if they're going to start getting into like checking the mail for abortion pills and stuff like that takes infrastructure that I don't know if they've thought through. All they have to do is put a bounty on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm basically resigned to being like an enabler of criminal activity for the rest of my life. You know, I figure like the government is, I'm not going to get pregnant at this, at this age. I'm 52. God, I hope I don't get pregnant. Um, <laughs> the, um, the government's criminalizing all of us. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be a criminal. Like that's just, it seems to be the only, the only way. If they're, if they're doing it, if they're, if they're really, really looking at abortion as from as being part of their religious view Mm -hmm. will it will it become will we have to all be protestants i mean we're looking at it as you know well they're saying to do this but if they can tell if they can tell you what to do with your most innermost self i mean Mm -hmm. what's there's nothing to say you know yeah i mean Look at how many states still have Sunday laws on the books. I mean, they yeah, may yeah. to force you into it, but they could force you to pay tithe. They could force you to pay, you know, to you right. can't work, you can't sell. So you may not be in a church, but you're not going to be doing anything else. Hmm. Yeah, I, a friend, I was in the South. Uh, my family's from Alabama, and I was back there for the first time in many, many years recently and I was just, we were driving through and I was amazed at how many counties are still, you know, dry counties or have blue laws and not something I think about. And, uh, and it seemed sort of weirdly quaint and, you know, not being able to buy wine on Sunday is not going to ruin anyone's life. But I was just like, this is just strange that there is this, that this is still happening, especially in a hyper consumerist country like we are. That that religion drives in Texas. You cannot buy beer on Sunday till noon. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a, you can't buy beer on Sunday you, until until noon. You can't buy it. You can't buy hard liquor on Sunday at all. Oh, right, because you're supposed to be it. I love that you can buy beer, but not hard liquor. Yeah. I, I was in Austin at some point after about a, a month after the um, SB eight, I guess, passed and. I was there to see a friend and I was walking around South Congress and, you know, Austin is like so delightful and so hip and everyone's young and, and it was, I'm just having a great time. Like, it feels like, you know, it's like Brooklyn in Texas. And suddenly I was like, your body is not under your own control here. And it was such a strange moment and it got at what is so insidious about this. You know, I wasn't in some tiny little Bible Belt town where I'd feel like a freak. Like I felt very much at home, as at home as I do in Seattle. And 
I could easily see, especially if I were younger, being like, oh yeah, everything's going to be fine when it's very much not, but you're kind of lulled into the sense of safety because there's like, you know, single origin coffee beans and, (laughs) and cute bumper stickers or something. Austin is an anomaly. Yeah. It's, it's an anomaly because yeah. uh, they say that, you know, that the joke is in Texas, if you, if you're a Democrat, you go, you need to go move to Austin. Yeah. That's exactly, exactly. Like it's just very much this oasis. And I, I used to live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was, I mean, Michigan's a very purple state, but it was the same kind of thing. Like they had actually passed a law essentially saying the city of Ann Arbor would always be an abortion safe zone. I don't even know what that meant, but the city had, had passed it. Um, That's one reason when I think about, I get frustrated when I hear people say, well, all the women should just move out of these States because I think if we've learned one thing, it's that blue state. It's a lot of this is city versus rural. Um, You know, every every red state has blue areas. Like even Alabama, my, my home state, which is incredibly red, has blue areas. And, and when I hear people say, well, these women just need to move, I, I just wonder if they're even thinking through what that takes, you know? Um, it's a, like a diaspora, essentially. They don't understand any, they do not understand rural America at all. Right. Right. You can't. And in the rural America that I live in, I don't ever say anything about being anti-Trump. I have to, I have Mm -hmm. wear a mask. I'm at a high risk uh, population, Mm -hmm. high risk population. So I have to wear a mask everywhere. Um, And I had to go to the vet today. Nobody there wore a mask. I get stared at. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't, you can't say anything that is anti-MAGA because you're mm-hmm. surrounded, completely surrounded. And, yeah. and it's, and they're armed. <laughs> they're, they're not, you're not just. Well, right. <laughs> Visibly sometimes. <laughs> These people are literally armed. <laughs> so you have to, you have, to, yeah, it's, it's scary. I mean, Texas became a scary yeah. place to live for, for a non, you know, GOP, MAGA, QAnon mm-hmm. person, you know, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, when I was in Alabama, my, it, I quickly became aware that, you know, my, we were gathering, my mother died two years ago, but we were just able to have the funeral. So that's why I was there. So I saw these relatives and, and, you know, these are people who I've known forever and like, they love me and, but they were like, how has it been in Seattle? We heard you had to wear masks and, you know, you had a lockdown. <laughs> um, and they were like, you know, we've, we've just been living normally here. And, and it was so, I was like, you were not going to cause a scene at your mother's funeral. You're not going to cause a scene at your mother's funeral. And it was such a strange thing because I was like, oh, I'm really the odd one out here. And these people are talking to me with genuine concern. Like, they're like, oh, we want to make sure Christie's okay. In, in Seattle, where it's both like an authoritarian lockdown and a lawless hellhole all at once. And uh, yeah, it was, I was very aware that I live in a bubble at that moment. It, it, it hit home for me in a way that it hadn't before. And it was also complicated because like some of these people, you know, they, they've been very good to me. Um, 
even though I think the things they believe are, are really destructive. It was it was really hard to be around them. I, it made me think about them in a different way than when I'm at a distance. And I just think, oh, my Alabama relatives, what are they, you know, what are they thinking? Like, they love me and I love them. It's, it's those people, I, I don't know your relatives, so I'm not saying anything about, but I know in Texas, that, that, that <laughs> mindset that here, for any yeah. young woman who is in trouble, they're not going to help her. They will take her to a right. pastor. Right. They will take her to her pastor or to her back to her relatives. Those young women have just and lost any kind of support. Any the, the the most vulnerable of us have lost all of their support because of a meme. Yeah. 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 In, in my part of the part of Alabama that we were in Georgia on the border, it's, you know, it's a city of a couple hundred thousand people. So it's a little different. I think that with my relatives, you know, young women aren't going to be as, as stuck as they would be in like a very small town, but it still struck me as just a, I don't know, like, I knew I lived in a bubble in Seattle, but I was like, oh, you're, you're really in more of a bubble than you think you are. And it also occurred to me that I need to get out of it more often um, just to understand, which is not the same thing as like when they're always saying, oh, we have to reach a hand out to rural America and make them feel, you know, good about themselves. But just, just to, to have my finger on the pulse, um, because I did, I did not realize how, like, I did not realize all my relatives would have been like living normally the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it did not occur to me, you know. While most I of my, most, of my, most of my relatives think that JFK is going to come back to Dallas anytime. JFK Jr. Oh God, yeah. I don't even Elvis, think mine. Elvis, mine are not Elvis that far is still gone. Alive and a CIA operative, right? That one really shocked me. I, I was I was really shocked about that. I and mean, that one hit me blindsided. But no, I mean. Yeah, they surprised you now. I had not heard the episode. They believe that yeah. rural America believes that 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 Portland, that Portland is a yeah. wild, wild west kind of thing. That people are just mm-hmm. up there shooting each other and tearing each other and burning each other's property. They believe that the worst. They ask me the same about, about Seattle. They believe that. They believe that that's what's going on up there, they, in Seattle. They believe yeah. that that all of that's happening. But they, rural America, feels real good about itself. These these people, yeah. they don't feel yeah. bad. They don't feel bad, and they don't feel like they have. They feel like they have been seen. That they they are they are really coming up in the world because Trump has seen them for who they are and they are now accepted and their, their hokey religious ways and the ways that they talk and all those things are now it's all accepted. And that good old boy anger that they can, you know, and and cursing at each other that you see at these rallies, that kind of thing that, Mm -hmm goes on all the time out in rural America. That's just kind of regular, <laughs> regular behavior, depending yeah. on where, you, where yeah. you are. It's been accepted. It's accepted because it's on TV and everybody's good. It just amazes me that of all the people t- 
to convince them that they've been seen that it's, you know, that it's Donald Trump. It's not even a fellow Southerner. Like you think about Elmer Gantry and all these stereotypes of like pre uh, preachers or even like the music man. I was watching the music man recently and it wasn't someone like that. It wasn't some folksy charmer. It was freaking Donald Trump. And they believed it. I I just uh, they, they believed that they Donald Trump is what they they all feel like that they can each one of the men could be Donald Trump. Yeah. And the women could marry him. Right. Right. That's the way they see because it. Because he's not yeah. Yeah. It's well and Fran Lebowitz, I mean, who's very blunt, like this is not like a lovely thing to say, but she said he is a poor person's idea of a rich person and a yep. dumb person's yep. idea of a smart person. He is. And it exactly. is because he's got like the gold plated everything, like this tacky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, remember, he's a self-made man. Right. He only had a million dollars to start with. He got more than three years. Yeah. And he kept getting money. So. You know, Donald Trump right. never right. did admit whether he, he never admitted. He was asked. He's been asked. And he'll shut him down whether he ever uh, talked a woman into having an abortion. Yeah, I, he has to have, right? I mean, he well, he won't admit he I shut him down. He, I think I, that would he be was a smart enough. I mean, he's, question to ask right now. Well, he was pro-choice. He was for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. First of all, I don't think a lot of these politicians actually really care. I don't think Donald Trump in his heart of hearts cares if women have like 15 abortions each. I think this is, a, I think there are some politicians who, who truly believe, but there, I mean, people like what, like something like one out of every three women has an abortion. Like these people, they have mistresses. They're wanting them to have abortions. Like, and here's the other thing is I don't know that it would matter because the, that rural base has accepted so much from Trump at this point like all the golden showers um, stuff and like prostitutes mm-hmm. in Moscow, like things that would have freaked them out 10, 15 years ago. Now it's just like, Oh, he's having sex. That's great. And it feels like if he did pay for abortions, they'd probably be like, well, those women had tried to trap him. They, they got pregnant on purpose. So he'd have to marry them. And he, you know, yeah, it would all I be think the they'd find fault. some way to excuse it. Yeah. It would all be the woman's fault. Like they were trying to get some of that Trump money. Um, or just to live with lovely Donald, you know, meet the new Melania. So we all, we all think that that these laws are coming from these these new influx of laws that they're really coming from a religious base. I think some of them are, but not deeply considered because, I mean, it's it's cliche at this point to point out that all the others, all the stuff Jesus talks about, these people ignore. Um. So they're not, they're very selective Christians. Um, I think a lot of it is just that it's red meat. I, I really do. I, I think most of these men, if their daughter needed an abortion, it would be done. It would absolutely be done. I think it's more of a um, patriarchal version of religion mm-hmm. than a specific religion. Yeah. I think a lot of it is because we elected a half black president. Honestly, I think that oh, yeah. it, it yeah. drove oh, yeah. people out of their damn minds. Um, it did yes. here. 
It did here. I, I yeah. cannot imagine what it was like here. We actually oh, thought yeah. we were actually concerned that that um, that it was going to get violent here because yeah. there were no you Trump could, was absolutely yeah. I I it just hits because the the escalation has been so sharp and and it's like we elected a president who had one black parent and now women and black people and immigrants, you know, must all pay forever. Um, I don't know if you guys have read the philosopher Kate Mann. Um, she has this incredible book. It's very readable called um, Down Girl. And her theory of misogyny is that it's the law enforcement wing of patriarchy. So it's not a generalized hatred of women, but it's used to get back at women who step out of line. And so when you're in line with what patriarchy wants, you can really feel like you're part of the club, you know, it can feel really good. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, and I know, I know Kate a little bit and she's in a complete state of horror right now. She's like a baby daughter and one thing, but, but I think this is not just patriarchy, but it's white patriarchy. Yeah. Freaking out. I don't believe that it's, it's a, it's a majority view. No, you know, we're talking about all this. I, all I can think of is, is that you, that may be true, but that is a very small portion of of men or, or group of people. I'm not to say just men. There's women included mm-hmm. in those views. Yeah, but it's very small, very small. But it's you know, it's and I. That's what's so scary for me is that these small group of people. Mm-hmm a small group of, you know, of legislatures in the state of Texas. I mean, Texas is a huge state. It's, it's really is mm-hmm. big. It's got a lot of people, but you know, the legislature is still just a small portion. And with, and all of these anyway, it's just, I just don't believe that it's, 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 it's the minority it's a minority rule. I think it's definitely a minority viewpoint. And there might be people who like, if they think about it, they passively believe some of the stuff, but they're not, it's not part of their, their daily life. But, but the, the, we live under minority rule. Um, and that's, what's really scary. I mean, polling on abortion, like I, I go hot and cold on that. Cause I, I just, again, I don't believe that my fundamental human rights are up for poll, but that said, if you look at the polling, like, People don't want Roe v. Wade overturned. Even people with qualms about abortion want some access to abortion. And it doesn't matter. I mean, they're doing something that the American public overwhelmingly does not want. But what is so scary about that, they will succeed. Yeah. If that's if this yeah, is what they're they gonna want to do, it. do they, they will succeed. If this is really what they want to yeah. do. They'll succeed, and then we will spend fifty more years trying to overcome the laws that they've mm-hmm. put in place. Because we we've all just determined this evening that laws are mercurial, and they're just not going to they can mm-hmm. go one way or another depending on who which way the wind's blowing. And yeah, yep. so you know, but the time that it will take to fix them, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the amount of, le- I mean, if you just think about what it takes to even fight, you know, to file a lot, like just the amount of legwork and again, just grunt work it'll take. You know, we see like the high point, well, Brandy sees some of the, the sausage making, but, you know, we see like the high points in the news, but just the the grinding work it's going to take. And and for this minority rule, because we had a president who was impeached twice and didn't win the popular vote, and he appointed like a third of the Supreme Court. Yep. I mean, they were on tape the other day talking about using the 25th Amendment on him, and he appointed 30% of the Supreme Court. And I, I yeah, I just, I just, uh, I don't know. But they're going to so, do it, and they, they will bend the laws as they want to. I have a question for Brandy. Yeah. How, how long is, so, so if, so if, let's say if Washington, you know, because Washington state appears to be, appears that it has most of its democratic based voters all in the Seattle area and that the rest of the state is like Texas, like Texas is your, your bigger towns and stuff. They'll all vote democratically. And then the rural areas will vote Republican. Mm-hmm. And Washington seems like it's that way. I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't don't know. It seems I, like it's got a very very red rule base out there, just waiting to take over. So if it did, how that's long, my understanding. Well, yeah. I just want to know how long will it take? Say say that you know Washington makes it okay to have an abortion. This election cycle and next election cycle it changes it because it was still in federal law at the one point and then it 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 goes against federal how long does it take i mean is it like you know like how many years does it take to change back a law so um it it is okay in washington state right now it is totally fine um we actually have laws to protect the right to an abortion but um honestly if somebody else has the majority, we um, we could see it in January. Because look, we have um, now whether or not the governor would sign it may be a little different. But we have um, we have a Democratic majority in the House and in the Senate, um, and it's been enough to be able to get past the things we want, some of the things we want past, but um, because of the way the system works, um, the the minority party can basically spend a lot of time slowing us down. So it limits what we're able to do. And we only meet once a year, unless there's some kind of emergency and we're called into a special session. Mm-hmm. So, and we're considered a part-time legislature. So what that all means is essentially if come November we end up with a Republican majority in the House and the Senate, they can start passing laws as soon as the session starts, which is like um, the second week of January. Um. But you said you could slow them down. So, yeah, what they do to us when they want to slow us down, it's kind of like 
kind of like the version of a filibuster is that um, we had one bill one like this last session where this discussion, the debate on one bill lasted nine hours and ended at 630 in the morning. Mm. So we went all night until 630 a.m. And that was focused heavily on slowing us down, of taking extra time to prevent us from having the time to pass other things. Um, and, and, you know, I do believe that they, maybe they didn't like the bill we were talking about, but it was a situation where almost everybody would speak on a bill on every amendment on the bill, which made it take hours and hours and hours. And we only have a limited time in session. Like it's actually, it's actually the law. I think it's, maybe in the constitution that um, the short session, which we just had is 60 days maximum. And the full session is 105 days maximum. And it, it alternates every year, short session and election years, long session or the regular session in the opposite years. So basically the, the, the minority party has the ability to slow whoever down, but it doesn't have the ability to stop things completely. Mm -hmm. Um, So some pretty awful stuff could get through. Um, That's scary. But then, you know, by, by the following, um, and, and then the next two years, it would be, you know, it would be done. Cause then they'd be able to bring in a, a Republican governor as well. So. Has anybody heard whether Biden has done anything other than just talk about it? Has he done anything? Um, I, I think he just called for Congress to codify it. I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done anything. It would be nice. Um, he hasn't said the word abortion. I mean, if when you when I listen to Brandy, it's like you know I can just see this map of the United States becoming you know red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, kind of you know this 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 maze of you know of like a whack a mole thing, depending on who's who's mm-hmm. in yeah. power on on you know abortions legal here. Well, this year abortions legal in this state, and next year it might be legal in that state. You know, and this year we've only got one, but next year you know. Think about that, though. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of how things tend to work with the presidency, too, since we've been going from one to the other. It's like it's true. You you have, you know, Trump's time and now Biden have to spend a lot of time fixing the stuff that Trump broke. Mm hmm. You know, we we keep doing this. This is a cycle we keep doing. He signed a lot of executive orders. and It seems like Trump, you know, and they say, well, Biden's done more. But, you know, Trump's executive orders seem to have had a lot more bite than Biden's have. In my opinion, that's just that's just my opinion. Yeah, I never realized how how much of an impact I was like, oh, these actually I was used to thinking of executive orders as kind of benign things or something. Maybe I just had never really thought about it until Trump was just, I think he knew he couldn't get a lot of this stuff through Congress. So he was like, I'm just going to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cause the worst case scenario is it gets held up in court. Right. But he still did it. Right. There's no real, real loss, especially if you 
if you don't feel shame, if you have an incapacity to feel shame, yeah, um, then why not? Why not just do it? You know. Plus, I think he liked having like his fancy little menu holder and you know his little his big boat, big boy pen. Well, Schumer said that he was going to hold a vote and force a vote, even though oh yeah they're, that they're going to. They're going to they're going to force a vote to codify, even though it will not pass. But they want to have everybody on the ballot, on the record about mm-hmm. how they vote. So before November, so that they can use that, so Democrats can use that as a you know their battle yeah, cry. They should. Okay. I mean, I think they overestimate um, when they're like these people are going to have to answer to the public. I think they underestimate or overestimate how much like Kristen Sinema's they elected her because they like her, you know, um, I don't know if people are going to turn on her for this, but, but I do think having the vote, even if they know they don't have enough for it to pass, I, yeah, it's a good idea. Like it's, it's evidence that they're trying. And I wonder, I mean, again, like I know so little about the really small workings of government, but I'm like, there must be other things you can do where you're funneling money to helpful places. Um, you know, like, it can't all just come down to like there there's this, I think we need to be fighting to keep Roe, but I think we need to be planning actively for a post Roe future um, where the government is, the federal government is still doing what it can to help women get abortions in all states. I think you're right. I think that it's, if you don't pre-planning is the key to the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I read something a couple days ago, maybe in the new Republic, I don't remember, but basically saying that grassroots abortion, abortion activists have been planning for this for years because they also don't see the Democrats as very helpful. And so they basically just been like, well, we need to start setting up the right infrastructure. So there are organizations who are way ahead of any of us. Um, and when I think about, you know, when I thought, oh, I don't want to give any more money to the Democrats right now, it's mostly because, like, I'd rather give my money to these organizations run, you know, often by women of color, who, by the way, I think white women, we've we've not done a good job. I, I think that I know growing up, when, when I was coming up in the 90s and after, I just don't recall women of color really being part of the conversation and I think that was a grave, grave error. And I give most of my money now to organizations that are run by women of color for women of color, um, because I think they're going to be disproportionately impacted by this. Of course. And I also just don't see any way for the movement to really move forward without their leadership. Um, not saying it's, it's not like a glass cliff, like, oh, well, we messed up, so I'm going to give it to you guys to fix now. Good luck. But just it just seems obvious now to me that they're going to see things in a way that I just don't have the perspective to because I don't have that lived experience. And so I am almost at a point where I'm like accepting what's going to happen and just thinking like, okay, how can I, how can I fund or volunteer or something these clinics that are really on the ground and in touch with what's going on. Like, how can I just practically help them keep moving forward? Um, be a foot soldier. That's important. I don't even think you'll have clinics. I think that, I think it will be, it will, I think the, 
I think it'll be farther on the ground than that. I don't believe that. Yeah, there, I assume so. I, I, and and I, can, I can see maybe having clinics in a, in a more urban situation, but. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. Like, I, so, so Idaho is next door to Washington. And during one of the COVID spikes, um, our hospitals were overrun with um, unvaccinated people from Idaho um, to the point that you know, operations were being postponed for locals and you couldn't get in to see a doctor in the hospital and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I think the same thing is going to happen with abortion. And it's interesting because my, I did not have a very sentimental take on the unvaccinated patients. I was like, I mean, I I understand you can't just say no, Washingtonians come first, but I was like, this is ridiculous, you know, get your vaccination or have your state build a hospital system, a real hospital system. But, but, you know, we can't, I am concerned that like even women in so-called safe states are going to get crowded out. Like we just may not have enough capacity. If there's like, let's say a 300% increase in abortions being done in Washington state because women are coming from Idaho. And probably a little higher than that. Yeah, probably. Then, you know, I just, it just worries me. It's not like capacity is going to grow infinitely. Nope. And capacity struggles to grow anyway. Maybe if if states, if larger states could make, incorporate abortion into healthcare instead of having it sit outside it. I mean, whether anybody, you know, we all say it's healthcare, but but it's not treated as healthcare. And and you can say it all you want to, but until it actually gets coded Mm -hmm. Into somebody's insurance mm-hmm. as part of their healthcare plan, it's not considered healthcare. I mean, yeah, and done just in a normal, like you know, like a regular doctor's office, like not necessarily. I mean, I know that some people do it that way, but you're not going to a special clinic where everybody can guess what's going on. And um, right, and and you 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 have your they just it's it's not like you say. You, there's no stigma to it it, until it's just here going in they charge your insurance company and you pay and you leave and everything's normal until it's like that and maybe some states could adopt those kinds of rules Mm -hmm. into their board of insurances i don't know i I mean that's asking a lot but or the or a thing where no one knows what's going on because you're not going to a Planned Parenthood that's standalone. You know, you're just walking into, you know, a large medical building where you could be having a mole looked at or getting a throat cold. It's, it's a it's a day surgery until so you just it's you go in. It's like it, you would a day surgery for to get a lump removed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. until it's treated like that. Right. Right. And the medical abortion thing is interesting because I was reading that in Europe, they, that's actually the majority of abortions in Western Europe are by pill. Um, and that's one reason you, in Europe, they tend to have more like their limit, their weak limit is lower than I think our constitutional one, but it's not as big of an issue because like it's readily available. And, and, and I was thinking about the the medication thing, and I personally think if I if I needed an abortion, I'd rather 
go in, have it done, you know, like have someone dope me up, come home and take a nap and it's done. Um, the, the medical way seems pretty unpleasant, but it's really safe. It's actually, I think, even slightly safer than surgical abortion. It's a lot safer. I think it would be a lot, lot safer. Because you, I yeah, mean, the, yeah, like there's it's, no, you, everything's covered. If you, if you have problems, there are people there to take care of it. And sometimes, I mean, the, right, you just don't know. But that's part of, I mean, it's that's considered, it would be considered part of healthcare. And if you had some states that mm-hmm. could integrate that into their healthcare system, then Mm-hmm. It really would be a sanctuary state, but if just women coming across the border right. trying to get to some clinic that you know, as soon as they do that, they're going to have they're going to bus in people. Look what they did at January six. I mean, they're going to bus people in to these clinics. Oh yeah, and these poor women can't even get through. I mean, look at yeah, it's just, or you could be followed. You know, they'll be photographing yeah. license plates and um. They're already doing it around around clinics. I'm like, not surprised. It happens all the time. Oh yeah, that's that's been done for it's it's, it's a long time. Yes, they they are horrible. Yeah, people. but but you know, there's another issue that goes along with just making it and having a medical procedure and having people come in from other states, and that's that we're already facing a healthcare provider shortage. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, and in Washington, it's made worse by the um, the inability to, you know, get like safe the safe staffing rules and stuff passed. Mm-hmm. So um, that is going to have an impact. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. And the idea of becoming like I have a, a cousin in Alabama who is a pediatrician, and she actually decided a few years ago that to have abortion training. You know, she was like, I want to be able to do this because it's not part of her regular practice, but, you know, just as needed. But I don't, I, I don't think a lot of people are just going into like, I'm going to become an, you know, an abortion doctor. Like it's scary. It's dangerous. Um, your life is probably actually in danger mm-hmm. and it's not exactly, you know, it's kind of thankless. <laughs> I think you'd have to be so mission driven and and I absolutely understand that not, you know, some people want to have a nice life and be a doctor. They don't want to, they don't want to like fear for their safety every day. And I don't blame them at all. You know, I was a clinic escort briefly in the early nineties. Um, and I've actually been thinking I may want to get back into the game. Um, if it's, if it's useful, there may be other ways I could be more helpful at this point. Like I have actual skills now that I didn't have back then. Um, and a platform, but I was like, you know, I feel the need to just like, we've talked a lot about what are the Democrats going to do, but I, I feel the need to do something that doesn't just involve writing. I feel like I could write checks all, all day long and I want to do something. Um, so maybe that's what it'll be. Well, maybe it's not writing checks. I mean, you could, you can. Going and and volunteering at a clinic. I mean, that what I probably crazy. should do soon is eat dinner. I just realized <laughs> mine is in the microwave. I brought it <laughs> home too late to eat, so it's in the microwave. Mine is on my front porch. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool here. I'm gonna be just fine. Should we have a? Um, is there anything we haven't? 
Okay, are, are we done? Are, is this- I think we got, we hit almost everything. I mean, yeah. and, and we all have kind of different ideas as to what we need to do. I'm of the opinion that we really, really need to work to make sure that we're continuously electing Democrats, even if they're not always doing what we might expect. Um, and I will get back there. I know. I think I'm having an emotional reaction. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and- I'm absolutely going to vote for every Democrat I can. I think I'm just having a little internal tantrum. Yeah. And as a Democrat running for office, I, <laughs> right. of, I can't, I can't not be like, cause I love my job and I love to be able to help people. So, yeah. you know, but I think it, it is absolutely a situation in which we can't be, um, <clears throat> we can't just assume the best. And I think there are still a lot of people who are just kind of like, Oh, it'll work out. Yeah. Well, and even thinking about the midterm elections in November, like I'm now thinking about turnout in a way that I wasn't before. Um, You know, part of, part of my cynicism when I hear democratic politicians say vote is I think, well, you know, all these new voting laws have been, have been passed. I mean, the voting itself has become more restricted. And we also see that they don't necessarily accept the results of elections they don't like. Like I could see us hanging on to power, even gaining power in November and Republicans just saying, no, sorry, we're going to tie this up for six months. Um, So, but that said, yeah, it's going to be, incredibly essential to get out every vote, like every college student in the nation, I will personally harangue them or, and, or, you know, bribe them um, (laughs) to do do the right thing. Um, It's going to be so important. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) And they close with a heavy sigh. I think it's kind of fitting because like, yeah, I mean, I just, ugh. that's kind of where I've been for the last few days. Yeah. I just keep, yeah. I just, I just think about it and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. You know, Sam, was there anything that you were curious about that we didn't talk about? I, I have been summoned. Um, uh, no, I, I, I think, uh, I think you guys have covered it quite well, um, and we can wrap it up. I, I wanted to thank all of you, uh, Christy, Brandy, Shelley, for coming on and doing this. Um, I, I thought it was a great conversation. Um, and, you know, I, it, it was difficult for me being on mute, like, oh, I could jump in, I could say something here, but I, I thought it was good to, <laughs> especially at one point where Christy was saying, I think the men should step up more. I'm like, ah, but I promised to shut up. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but no, thank you very much for coming on. And I think it was uh, useful to, uh, to hear all of your perspectives, uh, on this and, and to hear that discussion. Um, so I did just want to give each of you a chance to sort of, I know Christy and Brandy, you, uh, have stuff going on that you might want to plug. Um, and Shelly's on social media a lot too. So, uh, let, let's start, uh, uh, Christy, do you want to give people how to find you on social media or say something about your books or anything else like that? Yeah. Yeah. So my first book, um, which was a finalist for the Washington State Book Award, um, is called Nothing Good Can Come From This. It's a memoir and essays about drinking and not drinking. 
It's super awesome. <laughs> I think it's a really good book. Um, and you can buy that pretty much anywhere that books are sold. Um, and my next book, which is about my decade long career at Amazon is called Exit Interview. And that will, it should be out in 2023. Um, we don't have a pub date yet, but that's coming along. And you can find out a lot more about me and find links to my writing at christycoulter.com. And there's links to all my social media there too. Excellent. And uh, Brandy, you mentioned you're running for election, uh, for, you know, to retention. Retain, retention. You're running to be retained at the spot you were appointed to. Uh, you didn't mention this time, uh, you know, you mentioned that how important it was to retain control of the House and Senate uh for Democrats, but uh, you, your seat is, I believe, one of the five most competitive seats in the state. Is that right? Ooh, Somewhere yeah. about that? No pressure. Yes. <laughs> so uh, why don't you give some information about how people can find uh, your campaign, donate, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, again, Brandy Donaghy, I am currently this one of the state representatives for the 44th legislative district in Washington state. And I'm running to retain my seat. I have a website. It is electbrandydonaghy.com or sorry.org. Um, and I also have an email that is brandy at electbrandydonaghy.org. If anybody has any questions, I'm always happy to hear them. Um, one can visit my website and click on the donate button and put um, place funds there in order to ensure that we maintain the majority in Washington state. I'm doing it right now. And if anybody has any questions or is unable to find me for whatever reason, they can always reach out to Sam as well because he knows where I'll be since he's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Good plug there. And yeah, so we've got a lot of work to do and it's, it really is going to take all hands on deck. And I think it's, it's going to be especially important to remember that really none of us is safe. Mm -hmm. We can, we can talk about how great the laws are here, but the reality is that it can change in an instant and it's, it's really important Mm -hmm. that we, we not let that happen for the sake of reproductive rights in the state, as well as a bunch of other things that have a tendency to be really, really good just for humans in general and helping everybody thrive. Okay. And uh, Shelly, I don't think you have a book or a campaign, but uh, you want to plug your social media or anything else? Uh, Sure. Uh, Well, I did want to say one thing. Uh, I think it's really, really important going forward that, that we talk to young people and especially about voting. I think that everybody says, well, you know, we, we will do these things and maybe you get it done. Maybe you don't, but, if we're ever going to succeed in trying to fight this kind of, of fascism, we is the young people are going to do it. Our, our age group is headed over the hill and we talked about volunteering. I think that, that if you could, if each one of us could get 
three young people registered to vote. You know, we don't have to push them about which which way we want them to vote, but get them into the mindset that voting is important and that their voices need to be heard. I think that would probably be the best thing that we could do for ourselves. I uh, That's all I really have to say. Um, I'm on Twitter and, and count, a new uh, social media site called Counter Social. I am on Facebook, but I don't go there a lot. I mostly go there to look at pictures of my grandkids. Uh, I'm at S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-A-W-1-2-3 on Twitter and on Counter Social. If you want to look me up, I mostly just try to fight misinformation and disinformation. So I'm out there, and it's been really great meeting y'all. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody. And I'll give uh, the information for uh, for this show. Uh, if you want to uh, find the archives of the show or any uh, of the, you know, how to subscribe, how to contact us, all of that kind of stuff, it's at curmudgeons-corner.com. Uh, if, if any of you are here uh, because of our guests and don't normally watch the show or list watch, it's an audio <laughs> podcast. Uh, if, if, if you don't usually listen, uh, I of course invite you to tune in other weeks. Uh, usually myself and my co-host Yvonne are talking about whatever is in the news that, uh, that week, uh, and, you know, doing our little thing, uh, just talking about the news and other things that are going on. Uh, and so we'd love you to join us, subscribe, et cetera. All that's at curmudgeons-corner.com. Email, Twitter, Facebook, and also our Patreon uh, is linked there. And if you do contribute to our Patreon uh, at various levels, we'll send you a postcard, a mug, a whatever. We've got various other things. But importantly, at $2 a month or more, or if you contact us in any of those other ways and just ask nicely, we will invite you to our Comudgeons Corner Slack, which is a little chat room uh, where Yvonne and I and a variety of our listeners uh, just uh, sort of hang out throughout the week and share links to news stories and talk about what's going on. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We'd love to have more of you. And uh, that's it. Hey, everybody, have a great week. Uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll see you again next time. And And thanks again to our guests, Christy, Brandy, Shelley. Thank you so much. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.